Welcome to the 441st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with crime writer S.A. Cosby, author of the crime novel Razorblade Tears. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is S.A. Cosby, author of the brand new crime novel, Razorblade Tears. Sean won the 2019 Anthony Award for the best short story for The Grass Beneath My Feet. And his previous books include Brotherhood of the Blade, My Darkest Prayer, and his previous novel, Blacktop Wasteland, was a New York Times notable books of 2020, and it received huge acclaim from numerous writers and publications. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah, sure. If someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Razorblade Tears, how would you describe the novel? Basically, it's a novel about revenge and redemption. Um, it's about two fathers, one black, one white, seeking to avenge the murder of their married gay sons and also redeem themselves for their mistreatment of their sons as neither one of the fathers was very accepting of their son's sexuality. And do you remember the original idea that led you to write Razorblade Tears? It's actually, it's a twofold idea. The initial idea was writing about men of a certain age and about how they deal with the consequences of their actions from the mistakes they've made. And the second part of that uh, came about from a personal situation. A good friend of mine, who's a gentleman about the same age as I am, came out to his parents a few years ago, and it didn't go well. And his pain and uh, disappointment really resonated with me uh, and stuck with me. I, I couldn't shake it. And so I wanted to try to um, answer some questions uh, about that situation that I had. And the, for me, the best way to answer those questions was to examine them in a novel. And so I'm curious, what are your earliest memories of reading and books? Oh, man, my earliest memory is my, my, my late mother teaching me the word siesta and mirage in a golden book, a uh, children's book. And that's my earliest memory. And I swear that's around four or five. But and after that, I grew up in a household that despite our living situation, we were incredibly poor when I was a kid. But despite that, I grew up in a household that was surrounded by reading and readers. My grandmother loved trashy romance novels. My aunt uh, loved horror novels. My mom was a big uh, reader of folklore and biographies. And I had an uncle who loved pulpy detective books. And so all of that uh, was always swirling around me at, at all times. And I just absorbed it all. I'm a voracious reader as, as well as being a writer. And who were some of those early writers before you even started writing? Who were some of those early writers that you enjoyed reading and made a big impact on you? Oh, man. I think some of them were like John D. McDonald. Raymond Chandler, Chester Hines, uh, Stephen King, Clive Barker, Richard Matheson. Uh, some of the early horror writers were big influence. I was an influence, but I enjoyed them quite a bit. August Derleth, Robert Block, folks like that. And then as far as some of the other writers, uh, I like it, oddly enough, uh, my grandmother was a huge fan of Sidney Sheldon and Judith Grant. And uh, as a young man, I just liked reading those books for the saucy bits. But they were also an influence on me. <laughs> and, and they really teach you, they teach you how to write for 
entertainment purposes. All books should be entertaining, but those books specifically have a market and an audience that they're trying to reach. I know some people will be disdainful of books like that, but there's a lot to be learned from folks who are selling millions and millions of copies. What was your own path to publication for you to writing and publishing your first short stories and then your first novel? Oh man, it was a, was a long and circuitous route. It's a what a strange, long, strange <laughs> trip has been. I started writing seriously when I was about nineteen. I was writing back when you still had to send your short story with a self addressed stop envelope if you wanted to get it back in the days before email, and uh, it was a lot of rejections, a lot of rejections. But it was the weird. Anybody who's written will can tell you this though. It was the weird positive re- rejection. This isn't right for us, but we'd love to see something else. Or this doesn't work for us, but you definitely have talent. And so those rejections, numerous as they were, I always took those as a positive because someone recognized that, you know, there was something about my writing that was interesting. And even though it wasn't for, I never got a discouraging rejection. I never got someone who said, stop writing. You don't know what you're doing. Um, (laughs) But, and so I just stuck with it over the course of my life. And then about 10 years ago, I I tell the story a lot, and it sounds made up, but I swear to God it's true. About 10 years ago, a friend of mine who was a belly dancer went to New York City, and she, after her performance with her troupe, went to a bar in the West Village called Shade, and and this bar was managed by a a guy named Todd Robinson at the time. Todd Robinson was publishing his own books, but he's also publishing a great quarterly magazine of hard-boiled crime stories called Thug Lit. And she talked to him about my writing. I had actually written a, a fantasy novel at that time that didn't wasn't really going anywhere. And so anyway, he suggested to her to suggest to me to write a crime story and send it in because he was always looking for new writers. And I did that. And that's when things just clicked. I just found my niche. And it was one of those things where I wasn't trying to be a crime writer at the time. I was trying to be a fantasy and horror writer. But something about crime writing just clicked with me. And then luckily it clicked with with readers and that story got published and another story got published and so on and so forth. And I'm curious, have you thought about going back and trying to write a fantasy novel or (laughs) at this point have you committed to crime? (laughs) Oh man, I I always think about it. I actually got the opportunity. I'm going to be in two uh, horror anthologies later this year. I've got a horror story coming out in an anthology that's dedicated or not dedicated, but that's a, about a horror anthology that takes place in the Joe Lansdale world of his novel, The, uh, the Drive-In. And I've got a horror story coming out with the uh, horror, writers of Soci- horror Writers Association of America anthology. And I've got one coming out with them. So I've actually had the opportunity to revisit that those roots or those things that w- were my first interest as a writer. And there's a part of me that would love to maybe take a year off and sit down and write a expansive fantasy novel. I don't I don't know if I'm gonna get the chance, but I'd love to do it. We need an essay Cosby fantasy novel, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Well as you were um working on getting your first short stories and you were as you said you were working on stuff that wasn't necessarily crime, but as you were working on your early writing Was there any specific challenges that you had to overcome or figure out in the writing itself, whether it was characterization or plotting? I think for me, the biggest thing was, and if you listen to my critics, I'm still having a problem with it, is I have a tendency to go really dark and really over the top. I I like extremes. I I don't like half measures. And my writing tended to be incredibly dark and intense sometimes. And the benefit of having good editors like Todd, like 
the editor I work with at Flatiron now, is that there are people who can pull you back from the precipice at the same time without compromising what you're trying to say. And so that was my biggest challenge. I always thought if you're going to blow up a building, blow up three. And so I was like, <laughs> and so I sometimes got to pull back from that. But I don't think I ever did that as a way. I think I was doing that initially as a way to hide what I felt like were my shortcomings. I didn't think I was that great at character. And my plots are not, I, I still don't have world changing plots. I think Jack London once said, I'm a pretty good elaborator. And I try to use <laughs> pyrotechnics sometimes. But what I've learned as my writing career has continued is that I'm actually stronger at character than I thought. The things that I thought were weaknesses in my characters are the things that readers are sometimes drawn to. And so I've been able to create a certain style and tone that seems to be similar to other writers that I admire, but also uh, hopefully wholly my own. As I mentioned earlier, your previous novel, Blacktop Wasteland, came out last year in the middle of the pandemic and also in the middle of yet another American reckoning with racial violence and and racial equity in, in the U.S. I'm curious, as an African-American writer, how do you feel about kind of representation at this point in the crime fiction world? I think it's getting exponentially better. I think, not to be too cynical, but I think the publishing world, which the crime writing world is a subset, is, you know, at the core, it's a business. And they're seeing books that value diversity, representation, characters, not caricatures. And they're seeing that these books sell. There were two books on the New York Times bestseller list last year written by authors of color, female authors of color. Britt Bennett, uh, The Vanishing Half, and Silvio Moreno-Garcia's American uh, Mexican, Mexican Gothic. And so those books were great sellers, and they're also great critically received books. And so I think the publishing world is seeing that there is a market and an audience for stories written by, for, and starring people of all types of marginalized uh, groups, not just people of color, but characters that are LGBTQ, characters that are non-binary, characters that are uh, not traditionally part of what is the usual air quote literature movement, rural stories, rural stories from the American South, the Southwest. And so I think that it is changing. I think there's still a long way to go, but I'm more hopeful today than if you had asked me this question five years ago. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sure. In terms of your own writing process, is, is it, has it been similar to you? Has it been similar for you from novel to novel, specifically in the nuts and bolts? I'm curious, are you someone who does a lot of outlining and plotting or do you start writing and, and follow the narrative? What's your process? I'm not a pantser, but I'm not an outliner. I think I'm in between. I, I, what I do, and it, it, it works for me, I can't see it's going to work for anyone else, is I write myself a really good, long stream of consciousness synopsis. It's sort of, it is, it's sort of like a Finnegan's Wake, but just for me, and nobody has to suffer through reading it. And, um, and so basically, it's just me <laughs> telling, telling myself the story. It's me uh, getting the story beats down in written form so that I can see them and visualize them because I'm a very visual guy, right? A lot of people say my style is cinematic, but I think that's just because that's the way I see the story. I see the story in my head and then I describe what's happening. And for me, that's been my process. And so far it's worked. I think it's going to change up a little bit with my third one just because I wrote Blacktop Wasteland. I had it written um, before we went to, to to sell it, to try to sell it to auction. And then while that was going mm-hmm. on, while Blacktop Wasteland was out, I wrote Raised by Tears. So all last year, I wrote Raised by Tears. And so this is the first time that I don't have a book ready to go after another book is out. And so I'm going to try something a little different, similar process. I've still got to write the synopsis for me, but I'm going to work on it in a different way with my editor. And we'll see. It may be better because I think as a writer or anybody in any creative endeavor, you have to realize what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And I think this changing up the process a little bit will help my weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses, I believe, is, again, that sort of uh, the New York Times call it that go for Baroque uh, tendency that I have. And I, I sort of want to maybe the next thing I'm working on, I want to make it a little more subtle, a little more atmospheric and maybe not as viscerally violent. I believe violence has a place in, in, in stories and in literature, but it has to be earned. And you earn it by writing good characters. But I may want to change things up just a little bit. Sure. Given your success to date, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories and novels? I think it's a tried and true cliche, but I think it also bears uh, repeating. Read as much as you can, because what reading does, it shows you what will work for you in your own writing, and it shows you what won't work for you. I love reading a book that at the end of it, when I close the uh, cover, I'm sitting there gobsmacked, like, I, I could never do that. I would never do that. I don't. I would never think of that. I love reading books like that because they challenge me, but they also sometimes are able to give me um, pause. Wow. That person did that idea that I had way better than I ever could. So maybe I'll move on to something else. Maybe my strength lies somewhere else. Another thing I would tell people as far as advice, there's a, I think there's an idea that you have to write a certain amount of words every day. I don't ascribe to that. I don't think you have to write a thousand words a day and 7,000 words a week. But I do think you need to write every day. But it doesn't necessarily need, need to be in the project that you're working on. You can write a social media post. You can write in your journal. You can write a note to yourself. I think as long as your mind is constantly engaged with the idea that you're working on, the idea of the story that you're trying to tell, I think that's better. I don't believe in taking like long pauses when I'm in a project. I don't think that is beneficial to the story. I like to have the immediacy of the story. I like to still be immersed in it. So that's probably the best piece of advice I could give. 
And I'm curious if you've thought about it when you sat down and I think you said you were 19 when you submitted your first story and you were going through rejections and you said it was a roundabout route to, to getting published. What kind of kept you going? What kept you submitting and sending out short stories? The honest answer, <laughs> spite. I'm incredibly <laughs> stubborn. And at a certain it's not personal, but I started taking it personal. And so at a certain <laughs> point, I was like, I'm going to get published if only to show these people that rejected me what they're missing out on. Now, of course, as I've matured, and I've become a more reasonable adult. I don't think that is the thing that drives me. But initially, that was the thing that drove me. I wanted to prove people wrong. I don't think that's healthy, but I'm going to be honest. That's what drove <laughs> me. Um, and, and, and it was funny because I, I, I think ultimately that was good for me to get that out of my system then so that by the time I was 35 when I had my first story published and I was still getting rejections I didn't take it quite as personally and I knew that I had talent and I knew that I had the ability and I just needed somebody to take a chance on me and one of the first people to do that was Ty Robinson and and I once somebody takes that chance on you that's all you need it's just that crack in the wall and then everything else will eventually fall in place now don't get me wrong I never ever thought that my books would be mentioned in the New York Times or the Washington Post. I, I didn't foresee that, but I thought I would get published. I, I was thinking, I'm going to get published. And then I will, I just never anticipated anything like this. It's beyond my wildest. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, man. I'll give you five real quick. Andy Davison's The Boatman's Daughter, a really dark, atmospheric, Southern Gothic horror novel. I read that in two days. It's an incredibly, incredibly interesting a culturally rich story. I really love it. I just finished a book by James D.F. Hanna called Midnight Lullaby, uh, a pretty traditional P.I. novel, but with a, a interesting setting. It's set in West Virginia, Indiana, the Midwest sort of rural area. I'm not from there, but I recognize those folks in that book. I like to say that his book, Midnight Lullaby, and my book, My Darkest Prayer, are probably in the same church, but just different pews. I just finished <laughs> P.J. Vernon's incredibly intense, I hesitate to call it domestic thriller, but his domestic thriller bathhouse, just an incredibly atmospheric and, and, and visceral, emotional roller, a roller coaster uh, ride of a story that 20 pages are mind-blowing. So bathhouse was incredible. I really loved it. I also read earlier this year a book by Michael Ferris Smith called Blackwood. Really... Um, and there's a theme here, really dark but intense Southern Gothic novel, reminiscent of, I think, more so Flannery O'Connor than William Faulkner, but again, still in that same genre, in that same style, and I really enjoyed it. And it's something um, unusual, this out of my usual purview, but something I really enjoyed, The Force of Vanishing Stars by Kristen Harmel, a story that takes place during World War II about a young girl who helps prisoners of war escaping from the Nazis hide out in the forest. And she also is discovering um, some secrets about her own past. And that book was, again, it was a gift. Someone gave it to me as a gift. It's not something I would usually pick up, but once I got into it, I couldn't stop reading it. And then a book from uh, last year, but I talk about it a lot because I really love it. Winter Counts by David Heskel and Nobley Whedon, a story about a, a tribal enforcer on a reservation in the Lakota Nation. And uh, David is a, an incredible writer. He's the guy that is able to bring, again, that tropishness and reimagine it in a way that's new and fresh. So those are my books that I've read recently, recommendations. And I, anybody who's listening, they, they could do well to uh, check those books out. That's great. Where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and books? 
I need to make a website, which I don't have yet. But if you want to follow me online, I'm on Twitter a lot at at BlackLionKing73. I'm also uh, on Facebook at S.A. Cosby Author. And I'm on Instagram under Leo King 73 One of these days, I'm going to get off my duff and actually make a website. But for now, that's where <laughs> folks can keep up with me. <laughs> that's great. Again, we've been speaking with S.A. Cosby, author of the brand new crime novel, Razorblade Tears. The novel is available now. So go buy a copy. And Sean, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.